1 Corinthians chapter 14 Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? For with yourselves, if, you pl if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, Will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, 
and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh up what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. I know. One Christmas, I'm, I'm not even sure how old I was anymore. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I was still in primary school, maybe about 10 or 11. Um, but that was when me and my brother first stopped getting toys for presents and we started getting tools. Anyway, before, even before we opened our presents, my dad said to me, Michael, the present that you're getting is going to be, it's even more special than Andrew's present. Andrew was my older brother. Uh, but... Andrew, his present's one that he'll be able to use a lot more often, but the odd time when, you, when your present is needed, it'll just be really, really handy. Anyway, when we opened our presents, my brother got a half-inch drive socket set, and I knew what that was for, that, yep, yeah, we'd be very useful, and I knew that, yeah, I'd be borrowing it at times. And then I opened my present, and, and that's what I got. And for those who don't even know what it is, um, it's a set of taps and dies, a, a, a tiny little set. And when I saw it, I thought, wow, that is really special. What do they do? <laughs> and and, um, and Dad explained it to me. Oh, oh, they're for cutting threads. And so what you do is you, you get a piece of steel and you can drill a hole into that piece of steel and then screw a tap into it and it cuts a thread into it. So it sort of turns a piece of steel into, into a nut, something you can screw, screw a stud or a bolt into. And, and then with the dies, you can cut a little piece of rod and screw the die down over the piece of rod and it cuts a thread on that, turning it into something like a bolt. And so you can make these little nuts and bolts and things and screw them together. And so Christmas Day, when we'd opened these things and we'd gone to church, well, we couldn't wait to get home from church because we had to try out our new tools. And so as soon as we got home from church, actually, no, I'm lying, it wouldn't have been as soon as we got home, we would have eaten first because that's what Christmas Day is all about. We would have eaten and then we would have gone, we headed straight down to the shed. My brother found something that he could disassemble with his new half-inch drive socket set and I set about 
getting bits of scrap steel and drilling holes and, and screwing taps into them and getting little bits of rod and, and cutting them and, and, drill and, and cutting threads onto those and making these little nuts and bolts and things that would screw into each other. And within a couple of hours, I'd had enough. Dad had given me this really special gift and then once I learned what it was really about and reality set in, I found myself wondering, what on earth am I going to do with it? I mean, what, what, whenever was I going to use it? I knew my brother was always going to be using his socket set and I'd always be borrowing it. But what on what earth, what, what use is a set of taps and dies to a 10-year-old? And... Um, I think I can remember a couple of times during the year, Dad purposely went out of his way to find a couple of jobs for me to do with it. I think I might have retapped a couple of threads for some grease nipples. But I had this special gift. What was I going to do with it? And by the way, you can see I've still got that photo I took a few days ago. I still have that set of taps and eyes. And sometimes, maybe once every second year, um, it's just the right tool for the job. Last week, we were learning about the gift of tongues, um, the, or the gift of languages. And because there's so much controversy around this one particular gift, we spent some time clearing the decks. And, and we got the elephant out of the room, if you like. Because there's so many unbiblical positions on this one particular gift. Some say the gift of tongues is finished, so if anyone speaks in tongues today, they're either faking it or they're demonic. Um, others say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptised with the Holy Spirit. And even others say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. But instead of choosing any of these positions, we went straight to the Scriptures. What does the Bible teach us about this? And it's actually so simple. The gift of languages is a spiritual gift which is given to some, but we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. And so it is not the test as to whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not. It is not the test as to whether you're saved or not. And nor is it a gift that's been hunted to the state of extinction. And so we cleared the decks. The gift of languages is a gift that continues today, but it is not the one gift that defines whether somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit or not. So now the elephant's out of the room. Today we're able to now consider, for those of us who have this gift, what on earth am I going to do with it? How do I use it? And the principle governing the use of the gift of languages, it's the same as the principle for using any other spiritual gifts. The gifts are to be used in love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are to be used in such a way that builds the church up and they're to be used in a way that does not cut people out or set them up for, sorry, or to set up some kind of spiritual elitism. So with that in mind... Let's begin. Firstly, as we discovered last week, the gift of languages is primarily a communication between the person who has this gift and God. And what do we call it when we communicate with God? Prayer. Usually, not always, but most commonly, the gift of languages is praying or praising God in another language that a person's never been taught. Secondly, something that we already know about prayer 
is there's two different types of prayer. Sometimes we pray to God in private, and sometimes we pray together, like we do here in church, when we come together and we pray together. And what Paul is telling us here is when somebody is praying in tongues through the gift of languages, this prayer is usually to remain a private prayer. There is an exception, and that's when there is somebody with a gift of interpretation present, someone who's able to translate what's being said so that everybody else can understand it. But why is it supposed to be private? Well, it's because God doesn't want any of us to be excluded. I love to see fellowship between Christians, um, between brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes here after church, I like to just stand back and watch. Now, I hope that doesn't sound creepy, um, but I just delight in seeing everybody mixing together and everyone sharing and, and talking with one another. Anyway, sometimes... I've noticed our, when our South African brothers and sisters get together, oh, there's none here today, but sometimes I've noticed when, when they get together um, and they realise that they're in a group on their own, they switch over and they start speaking to one another in Afrikaans. And it's right that they do that because it's their first language, it's the easiest way them, for them to communicate with each other and that's the way they can understand each other best. But something I've noticed is every single time as I've approached a group of South Africans all speaking in Afrikaans, and they can, when it gets to the point that they see that I'm coming over to join their group, they instantly, mid-sentence, switch over into English. Now, why do they do that? Because they don't want to exclude anyone. And if they were here today, I would thank the, our South African brothers and sisters um, for being so careful to not exclude anyone. And I reckon some of you have probably experienced that as well. You've seen them speaking in Afrikaans, and as you come over, they just straight away switch over into a language that you understand. And that's what Paul is talking about here with the gift of languages. If I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. If we don't know what's being said we get excluded. It cuts people out from the time of prayer. And the person with the gift of languages may be praying to God or praising God well enough, but prayer and praise in a group is something that's supposed to be shared. When a person prays in another language, it doesn't build the whole body up, it's only edifying for themselves. And so thirdly, Unless there's someone there to interpret what's being said, when a church comes together, this is not the time for the gift of languages. If you have a gift of languages, use it privately so you don't exclude anyone. Now, having said that, I think that if, if a group of us were praying, and you know how sometimes there's a time of silence and, and nobody prays, but you might just quietly Whisper praises to God. Lord, I want to thank you for this. You know how sometimes we do that? Um, if you're somebody who has the gift of languages, it's probably entirely appropriate for you at that time to very quietly and silently use your gift of languages um, to, to give God praise. But 
if somebody else in the group then starts speaking and praying in a way that is to include the whole group, well, stop. Stop and, and um, be a part of the prayer that's going on. We're not supposed to be distracted and having our own little private languages session. So Paul here is giving us a very important lesson about the value of shared prayer and the value of agreed prayer. It builds the body up when we pray together in agreement. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Different people and different churches, well, we have different traditions and different ways of showing agreement, hey? Um, so in some traditions, there'll be constant interruptions to the speak to the preacher. Amen! Preach it, brother! Right? Yeah, it's sort of like having your own cheer squad there amongst, amongst the congregation. But, but then some other, some other preachers, well, they like to try and form their own cheer squad. And they'll be talking about, amen? Amen? Right? They're, they're looking for people to agree with you. Um, and in prayer, somebody might sing out, amen! But then there's the more staid tradition, and that might be more representative of us. And in the more staid traditions, we might have the encouragement and the agreement of the hmm. And so, you know what I mean? You're in a prayer session and somebody will go, hmm, 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 right? You know what I'm, I've seen a few smiles, you know exactly what I'm saying. It's it's mm, in an agreement or saying amen to a prayer. Now, let me just say amen is a much more forceful agreement than a hmm, hmm. Uh, but that's what amen means. It means truly, surely, I agree with that. Let it be so. It, it is a strong affirmation of what's being declared. And how can we say amen? How can we affirm someone's prayer if we don't know what's being said? Or even more to the point, how do I even affirm my own prayer if I pray with my spirit and not with my mind? Um, for those who have the gifts of languages, um, that's not an alternative to prayer. It's not something you do instead of praying in a language that you understand. It goes alongside of it. Which brings us to the fifth point. Worship is best when it is a product of both the mind and the spirit. You know, some people feel that worship should be all about, all about a free-flowing of the spirit and, and they see worship that engages the mind as being stayed or stuck in the mud or academic or even, dare I say, unspiritual. Um, others tend towards the opposite end of the spectrum where, where worship is all about thinking and knowing 
And, and those things such as feelings or emotions or any of that undefined spiritual stuff, well, that's all a bit suspicious. And, and oh, that, that's, that person, they're just all about emotions. We don't, you know, not sure that they really know what they're on about. But worship is at its best when it includes both the mind and the spirit. And that's the sort of worship that builds the church up. The next thing we learn is tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Uh, but it mightn't be this, a sign in the way that you expect. Uh, you might think, oh, okay, it's a sign for unbelievers. Therefore, the whole purpose of the gift of languages is so, so an unbeliever will see this amazing gift of the Spirit and they'll believe in God and they'll turn to Jesus. Not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Over the years, I've been to a whole bunch of training sessions on preaching and teaching, and a lot of them seem to have a common thread running through them. Use stories. Use stories, they say. And, you know, don't, don't try and just explain things. Use stories, because people remember stories. And usually in amongst the explanation, they'll say, hey, this is the best way to get messages across is to tell stories and people will get it. And in, almost invariably, invariably, they'll say, see, Jesus, he used to tell parables. Jesus told stories, so that's what we should do as well. And I agree, we, there is a place for stories. But you know what? Most people think Jesus told stories so that people would get it. Not so. Jesus told parables so unbelievers wouldn't get it. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 8, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. Right? Jesus didn't talk in parables so unbelievers would instantly get it and understand it. He talked in parables so that those who were committed to him and those who were following him would get it and understand it. And the unbelievers would actually stay in the dark. And it's similar here with the gift of languages. If an unbeliever comes to a church and there's a whole bunch of people speaking in tongues, that doesn't convict them and turn them to God. Most often it just makes them think, you lot are crazy. You're out of your mind. And so generally, the gift of languages, it's not much good as a tool of evangelism. Yes, it is a sign for unbelievers. But what that means is they'll stay unbelievers. Uh, now, we might find that hard to get. But it seems that as we read the Gospels, we can very quickly pick up there's, there's the insiders and the outsiders. And you don't become an insider until you put your trust in Jesus and start following Jesus. And, and that happens with the call of God on our lives. Number seven, worship should be orderly rather than chaotic. Now, we're going to talk more about orderly worship next week. Uh, but for now, how does a gift of languages fit into that? In my younger years, I used to visit a few local Pentecostal churches. 
who would have assessed themselves as being on fire with the Spirit. And now what did their worship look like? Well, back in the day, what it meant was a church of about 30 people um, would have about 20 of them speaking in other languages um, all at one time and over the top of one another and nobody was paying attention to anybody else. Now, to me as an outsider coming in, it seemed like a bit of a free-for-all in a bad way. But here in verse 33, Paul says that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And that's the reason that he gives why worship should be orderly. Um, Some people are really against order in worship, but this is God's intention. And we'll talk more about that next week. But this is what it says. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? The gift of languages isn't something that should usually be used in church at all. And certainly not everybody using it at once. The only time the gift of languages should be used in a church is if there's someone there to interpret what is said. And the final point I want to make for today is the gift of languages isn't something to be ashamed of. With all of this teaching on order and how it's a private gift and how its misuse can tear a church apart, it can tend to dampen enthusiasm a little bit. It can tend to dampen enthusiasm to the extent that people are ashamed of this gift that God has given them. But in chapter 12, when Paul was talking about the church as a body, he was talking about how we all have different gifts. And his point is this, with the gifts that God gives us, We complement each other and we need each other. And he talks about how some body parts are less presentable than others, but they're still needed. Some of our body parts aren't for private showing. We keep them covered up. The gift of languages, it might rarely get let out in public. But that doesn't mean that it's not valuable. The gift of languages is not something to be ashamed of. And Paul's really clear on this. He he makes it clear that he used to speak in tongues more than anybody. But it was something he did in private. And he makes a command to the church, don't forbid it. See, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be weeded out. If God has been gracious and given the gift of languages to you, use it in your private prayer and pray that the Lord will give to someone in this church a gift of interpretation so that when God wills, it can be shared. Right, well, I reckon we've gone far enough for today. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're still going to be in chapter 14. There's so much stuff in here. Uh, and we're going to focus on orderly worship and the gift of prophecy. I'm just not sure what order we're going to do that in yet. But I just want to finish up by saying the first two words of chapter 14. 
Pursue love. The way we use our spiritual gifts should be in the pursuit of love. And with the gift of languages, if I have that gift, my prayer should be, Lord, how can I pursue love? How can I use this gift that you've given me in such a way that I'm loving others? And if you don't have that gift, our prayer should be, Lord, how should I pursue love for those who do have this gift? How can I encourage them to use that gift that you've given them? to use it in love and in an orderly way. Every church needs the gifts that God has given it. And sometimes people feel that they're not welcome to exercise their particular gifts in the church that God has put them. And so they move off to another church. And I think nowhere is this more true than with the gift of languages. It is so common for someone who, when they receive this gift, to feel, well, I'm not welcome in this church. They've got something against it, and they leave to find another one where it's actually the done thing. Please don't do that. God gives to us the gifts that we have to build up the church we're in. And if you have the gift of languages, or any gift for that matter, I'd like to know about it. Tell me that you have these gifts. And then we can talk about how God can use you and use the gifts that he's given you for the building up of this church. Um, something that I know to be true is the prayer ministry in a church is so important. It is so valuable. And it is in private prayer and praise where the gift of languages really kicks in and is so important itself. Lord, I just want to thank you um, for the purpose of your gifts. The purpose of your gifts are for the building up of the church. And Lord, I want to thank you that, I guess, for that command that you give us there to pursue love. And Lord, I just pray that with with the, all of the gifts, with the use of all of the gifts and with the um, looking for the gifts to be employed in a church, Lord, just help us as a church to be continually pursuing love, to be encouraging one another in the gifts that you have given them. Um, not looking down on anyone because we see our gifts as better than theirs, but Lord, just, I just pray that you would build your church in Jesus' name. Amen.